Morning, Mission View Church. If you have your Bible apps or your Bibles, go with me to Proverbs 19. Proverbs, the 19th chapter. We're going to examine verses 13 and 14 this morning. It's good to see you. It was Mother's Day, it was fast approaching, and I knew I had to be on top of my game because Kelly and the crew back in children's ministry, they always do these incredible little things for Mother's Day and Father's Day, and I just didn't want to be put to shame. By, by a craft that, that was made in, in the children's ministry. And so I went on to Groupon about two months before Mother's Day because that's when you can find the sales. You get closer to Mother's Day, everybody jacks the price up of everything. And so I found a wonderful Groupon to make a photo book. And so I sat there and I attempted to, to make my wife a photo book full of pictures of the boys and our family. And I don't care, you know, how unsentimental your wife is. Uh, she's going to love that crap. And so I was like, I'm trying. And I, I put in pictures. And it, it looked all right. And, and I knew no matter what it looked like, she was still going to love it. Because how can you not love pictures of your children? And so I'm like, eh, but, but my sister-in-law, Tyler, she, she does all the graphics. And she's just incredible. She's really gifted. And so I'm like, Tyler, come here. I need your help. And she like totally reformatted the whole thing. And, and then it looked really, really good. And so I, I got that book sent out. And that was my Mother's Day present to to my wife, who I got a gift for, even though she wasn't my mother. Fellas, take notes, even though it's not your mom, still get your wife a gift for Mother's Day. And so, and so Mother's Day was off to just a glorious start. I mean, here's this picture book that I'd just given Brooklyn, and, and she loved it, and she's like, oh, that's so thoughtful and so nice, and I'm like, yeah. I didn't mention that Tyler had helped me at all. I didn't really think that mattered. I was just soaking up all the credit, and I'm like, yeah. This is this is great, and 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 then they made these adorable they made these adorable little little projects back in children's ministry this year for Mother's Day, and they, they like made these made these pots, and, and they they put put the little kids' faces on a on a fake flower, and um, and just stabbed it down in the pot, and and so this was really like the first craft that my, my son Dean had ever made in his entire life. We're, we're not a real artistic family. Um, when, when I was in fifth grade, I had to make my father something out of clay in art class. And so I made the man who'd never smoked anything in his entire life an ashtray um, and, and painted it orange and black because I, I went to green. And yeah, a school called Green has the colors of orange and black. I, I don't know. But, but I presented it to my father and God bless him to this day, well, probably not anymore, but to the day I left, it's probably long gone in the trash, but to the day I left the house for college, it sat on his dresser and he, he threw change in there, which in high school was really awesome because that's how I got all the Otis Spunkmeyer cookies I wanted. I would go in and raid the change, change ashtray every morning and then I'd get 
the three glorious Otis Spunkmeyer cookies, the best thing the Green High School cafeteria has ever produced, and they were delicious. And, and I mean, to the day I left for college, that ashtray, it, it remained on his dresser, but, but we're not a real artistic family. And so Dean had never really made any crafts before, and, and come on, the kid's nine months old, so really, what's he going to do? I mean, you, but he made this pot. And, and, and Brooke's not real, she's not the real sentimental type, but it's something about it's Mother's Day and it's your kid's first craft. And, and they, they put maybe his handprint or his footprint on it. I'm not, I'm not really sure because it wasn't my gift. I mean, it was, it was, to, it was to my wife. And, and she had this pot. She had two pots, one from our older son, Ethan, and, and one from Dean. And, and as she was leaving church... Ethan, our older son, I don't know exactly how the story goes, but he broke Dean's pot. And so here are the remnants of my child's first craft, which that's really nice. Not so much, but that part's really nice. And I'm like, don't worry about it, baby. I'm not real handy, but you know, I'll... I'll super glue it back. Yeah, we tried. It didn't work. But here it is. We have all the parts to the wonderful pot that represents my son's first art project. You know, kids can destroy things. We understand this frequently when, when they're little. We understand that when you're in the heart of the, the terrible twos, you, you, get a, you get a little rambunctious, and, and you don't always pay attention, and you, you don't always understand that you need to be fragile with things, and, and, and so this, this is the result. Things get shattered. They get broken. But this principle, it extends beyond childhood. And this morning, we're going to be looking at all kinds of, of different family dynamics, we're going to be looking at all kinds of different family dynamics as we dive into Proverbs 19, beginning at verse 13. And this is the first thing that we see. A foolish son is ruin to his father. A foolish son is ruin to his father. Now, when kids are little, we understand they can destroy crafts. When they get a little bit older and they're teenagers, we understand they can destroy cars. That's why your car insurance rates jump so much. But they can destroy companies. They can destroy legacies. Legacies take years and years and years to build. Hard work, sweat equity. Effort, toil, and seconds to destroy. Susan Burfield, a few years ago in Bloomberg Business Week, wrote an article. The fall of the house of Bush. It took four generations to build Anheuser-Busch, and only one for it to come apart. August Bush IV, he, he lived alone in a 6,300-square-foot mansion just outside of St. Louis, 15 miles to the east of his mansion was the headquarters 
of Anheuser-Busch, the biggest brewery in America, and the maker at the time of the article of Budweiser and 30 other brands of beer. The company had been run by the Bush family for 150 years until it was devoured by InBev in 2008 in a $52 billion hostile takeover. Bush was CEO at the time that the Anheuser-Busch was wrenched from his control. The Bushes and their beer company had survived prohibition, labor strikes, price wars. They grew to operate 12 breweries around the country, produced 128 million barrels of beer in 2007, the year before the hostile takeover, and took in nearly $17 billion in revenue. The red, white, and blue, Susan writes, Budweiser can is practically synonymous with America itself. But at a crucial time, the company failed to adapt to a changing market, leaving it weakened and vulnerable to a foreign takeover. And it was August Bush IV, the last member of the family to lead the brewery, who was there when it all fell apart. Entire family legacy gone in a matter of moments. This, this isn't all that rare. In fact, in, in family-run businesses, 88% of current businesses, and these statistics are according to Family Business Institute, 88% of current family business owners believe the same family or families will control their business in five years. But secession statistics undermine this belief. In fact, only 30% of family and businesses survive into the second generation. Only 30%, 3 in 10. Only 12% are viable into the third generation. And only 3% of all family businesses operate into the fourth generation or beyond. Now, this is a principle that we see in the business world. And we can analyze it, and we, we can look at it, and we can break it down. And the reason that we do that is because we have, we have hard data that we can do that with. But this is not a principle that is isolated to business. A foolish son is ruined to his father. A foolish son is ruin to his father. And he can destroy in a moment what it's taken you a lifetime to build. So how can we prevent that? What can we do? I'm going to suggest that a good starting point is don't reward children with radically different worldviews than your own. Don't reward children who possess radically different worldviews than your own. Now, no child is going to see the world exactly like you do, unless you've created a clone. And, and even then, there's probably going to be, at some point, an issue that you disagree on. But for those who see the, the world radically different, 
for those who don't share the same value system as you do. Don't believe, don't believe this lie that our culture presents that you have to aid and embed them no matter what. You don't. You've raised them to the best of your God-given ability. When they're of age, they're of age. And your job is done. You still love them. You still care about them. But don't enable them to make poor choices. Don't enable their worldview, which looks so radically different than your own. And so might I suggest that if your children aren't following Christ, if they're making poor decisions, take them out of the will. Quit supporting them financially. Don't allow your legacy, don't allow what you've worked hard to be wasted. To be utilized for that which you're against. And that's going to cause some tension. That's going to cause some conversations that aren't the most pleasant. Don't allow your legacy to be ruined. foolish son is ruined, is ruined to his father. And a wife's quarreling is a continual dripping of rain. A wife's quarreling is a continual dripping of rain. You know what just one drop of water can do? You know what just one drop of water can do? If we open this up, we do. Just, just one drop. You know what that can do? Next to nothing. A single drop of water doesn't matter. It doesn't change anything. Oh no, got hit by a drop of water. You ever been outside and the sky looks like it's just about to pour and it's, it's right, before, right before the rainstorm? You get hit with one drop of water. You're like, oh, I'm soaked. No. You ever try to water a plant? Just go over with one drop? It's not going to do anything. One drop of water not really a big deal. You know what happens when it keeps dripping? When the drops don't stop? You got a problem on your hands. See, one drop of water doesn't really matter. When it keeps dripping, you get soaked. Things get destroyed. People are tortured by continual dripping of water. And the wife's quarreling is a continual dripping of rain. 
Listen. For those of you who aren't married, be smart about who you marry. Be smart about who you marry. I know that she looks good. I know that she makes you laugh. I know that she's the best kisser you've ever found. She isn't always going to look like that. She isn't always going to make you laugh. And sooner or later, you're going to want to eat Mexican food, and she's going to have some wicked bad breath. So just remember that. I know, I know that ladies, he just, he makes you feel secure. He's made you feel special. He showed you a good time. That's going to end too. Get beyond the external. Be picky. Don't put an arbitrary deadline in your life of, I've got to be married by this time or all the good options are gone. And then you go into freak out mode and you start sacrificing. Don't settle on who you marry. Refuse to settle. Apart from following Jesus, this is the most important decision of your life. Don't make a mistake. Because you know what a continual dripping of rain does? It annoys and it destroys. You marry the wrong person, you'll find yourself annoyed and you'll find aspects of your life utterly destroyed. Be smart about who you marry. And for those who are married, fix your marriage. Fix your marriage. So how do we do that? You know, one drop of rain doesn't hurt anything. The continual dripping annoys and destroys. So if you find yourself right now in that space where you are annoyed You feel like destruction is coming. First step you have to do is admit that you have a problem. Love covers a multitude of sins. But everyone has a breaking point. And so admit you have a problem. And don't just... Look beyond yourself. When, when, when you get to this point and you admit you have a problem, don't just cast blame. 
They'll just write the laundry list of, of how somebody else needs to fix and change. Admit you have a problem. Look at yourself first. Before you try to fix anybody else, before you try to fix anything else, look at your own life and discover what needs fixed in you. And then move on, but don't move on before you look at yourself. Admit you have a problem. Number two, go below the surface. Get beyond the symptoms and discover the root cause. Third, confront the problems. Confront the problems. And, and listen, at no point in this is there any shame in getting outside help. Now, don't make it your mother-in-law. You know, don't make it your mom. Don't make it your best friend. Be smart about this. Consult an expert. Talk to a, talk to a Christian counselor. Consult with one of the pastors here. A, a godly mentor that you both trust, who has the ability to look at the situation. And speak honestly. And impartially. Consult an expert. Get help. And lastly, rebuild. Rebuild. It's not over. It's not done. You don't have to throw in the towel. You keep fighting. Ungodly kids and an irritating marriage. One that's, that's full of conflict. Will devastate your life. Ungodly kids in a marriage that is full of conflict will devastate your life. So for those of you who aren't married, you be picky. Write your list out of what you're looking for and do not settle. And for those of you who are married, be willing to put the work in so that your marriage can thrive. And that you aren't just stuck as roommates. Or stuck together for convenience sake. But you find joy in your spouse. A foolish son is ruined to his father. And a wife's quarreling is a continual dripping of rain. House and wealth are inherited from fathers. House and wealth are inherited from fathers. Now, I know recently, within the last five years or so, there, there's been a lot of 
lot of discussion in, in Christian sub-communities through books and, and just ideas that, that wealth is almost a, a bad thing and, and, and that wealth is, is something that is, that is incredibly dangerous. And what we have to see is just take a holistic view of what the scriptures teach us on wealth. And primarily what we see is that wealth is, is a blessing from God. Wealth is a blessing from God. It is not sinful. It is not wrong. Wealth is a blessing from God. But the problem that we often have is our perspective is wrong. Our perspective is wrong. Check this out. If your family income, family, if your family income is $10,000 a year, well below the national poverty line. If your family income is $10,000 a year, that is less than $1,000 a month, you are wealthier than 84% of the world. Think about that. $10,000. If it's $50,000 or more a year, you make more than 99% of the world. 50,000 a year. You make more than 99% of the world. I look out today and I'm looking at a lot of evil one percenters. You are the one percent. Fifty thousand. You are in the top one percent of the world's wealth. See, our perspective gets so clouded. We easily lose sight of just how blessed we truly are. How much God has really blessed us with. House and wealth are inherited from fathers. So since we're all wealthy, and we are, how do we respond? What do we do? Our perspective needs to change. First is we need to understand that, that wealth is indeed a blessing from God. But everything is God's. Everything is God's. And so since we're wealthy, how we should conduct our lives is first we should give back to God. Because we're all rich. We all have the means to do so. We should give back to God. Second is we should save. We need to create margin in our lives that, that we're not spending more than we bring in. This is God's plan for money. That we recognize that everything we have is God's. And the way to do that is we give back to God. That keeps us focused on the fact that it's not ours, but everything is his. We save 
meaning we don't spend everything we take in and we don't spend more than we take in. And lastly, we spend. We enjoy it. We utilize it. And we praise God in the process for the blessing that he's given us. House and wealth are inherited from fathers. And if we follow God's plan for money, perspective, it's all his, we give back to him, we save, we spend, and we enjoy it. We will leave an inheritance for those who come after us. But a prudent wife is from the Lord. A wise spouse is a gift from God. It's a gift. And so what do we do with that gift? Well, we better manage it well. So husbands, love her. You love her more than anything in this world. More than your career, more than the kids. More than your car. You love her more than anything. More than yourself. Husbands, love your wives. As Christ loved the church. gave himself up for her. Your job is to love. And to sacrifice. And to elevate her. From that same passage in Ephesians 5, it said, wives, submit to your husbands. As to the Lord. How do you respond to the godly man that God has blessed you with? You follow his lead. Follow his lead. Don't become a constant dripping of rain. See, the problem with loving our wives as Christ loved the church and the problem with submitting to our husbands is we have to elevate someone else. We're called to die 
to ourselves. That's where it gets incredibly difficult. Embrace your blessings. A foolish son is ruined to his father. And a wife's quarreling is a continual dripping of rain. Kids can destroy. Bad marriage can annoy and destroy. No, some of you are right there. You're right there right now. And you feel like all hope's lost. Feel like it's just shattered. Think your son, think your daughter will never get it. Tried your best. Some of you are right there right now. And you are faking it so well this morning. You have us all fooled. But you are exhausted. And you're just tired of fighting. And you're just tired of being tired, honestly. And you are annoyed. And it feels like your relationship is destroyed. You wonder, what's the use? What's the point? What can you do? Well, for your kids, the answer, unfortunately, is not much. You pray like crazy. And you quit enabling them in any way you have. Don't allow them to utilize your money to destroy in a moment what's taken you a lifetime to build. And if you're there in your marriage and your spouse isn't willing, unfortunately the answer is not much. You focus on yourself, you fix you, you apologize and you move on. And you start loving your spouse like Christ loved the church. Or you start just following his lead. You can't control anybody else. And oh, the blessing. Oh, the blessing that we all have. Because of the resources that God has given us. We all are rich. That we would manage it well. By keeping perspective. 
by giving to Him, by saving, by spending less than we make so that there's margin in our life and we enjoy the wealth that God has given us. We know if God's given us a godly spouse, someone to walk through life with, and we just celebrate, and we thank Him for the love that we have and for His blessings. If you're single, you wait. Don't settle. So that you can do everything in your power to not be annoyed and destroyed. So I'm going to pray. And in a minute, the band's going to come back out and, and they're going to play a song. And... Um, the song's just called, What Would I Do Without You? And if God's blessed you with that spouse, you just grab her hand if you want to, stand up and dance if you want to. I don't care what you do. I'm not going to tell you what, you know, you want to give her a kiss, you give her a kiss, whatever. Just don't make it gross. You're single, now might be a great time to ask the person next to you if they'll marry you. I don't know. You know, whatever you want to do. You're single, use this time right now just to pray. That God would give you the resolve to wait, to be picky, and to not rush it. God, I pray that for those who are here, whose children are making poor decisions, whose hearts are breaking, God, that you would just comfort them right now. God, I pray that you'd get a hold of their kids' lives their hearts. God, I pray that you would strategically bring people into their lives who could speak truth, the same truth their parents have spoken, but it's, it's just not being adhered to. God, that you would just move them to a place where, where they want to serve you. God, God I pray for, for the marriages in, in this room who, who are struggling right now. And I, I pray, God, that enough is enough, and, and we wouldn't live this way. But we would just first see where, where we need to grow, where we need to develop, the problems that we have, and, and we would work on those, and, and then we would confront, and we would just have conversation. And if necessary, God, that you would just empower people to, to consult a pastor, to consult a Christian counselor, to consult a trusted friend, and, and God, just that the just that the the anguish would stop. The confrontation would stop. And God, I pray that we never lose sight of your blessings. Thank you for the resources that we all have. And God, for those who you've blessed with a godly spouse, I pray we never take that for granted. Thank you, God, for your goodness to us. Empower those who are hurting. And those who are blessed, God, let us just take the time to thank you. In your son, Jesus' name we pray.